back home. It's time for the news from Back Home Magazine. Today's news is about food preservation. Our present-day food processing industry has its roots in thousands of years of trying to preserve foods for use at a later time. For example, during winter months after harvest, or after a successful hunt for a woolly mammoth that simply couldn't be eaten all at once. Probably the first method utilized was to simply dehydrate meats, fruits, or vegetables in the sun. Once most foods are dried out, bacterial decay and decomposition are slowed dramatically, allowing for relatively long-term storage. Some foods can be eaten dry, like beef jerky, while others can be rehydrated, such as vegetables in making soups. Somewhere in our early history, the use of salt for food preservation became common when someone discovered that packing fish or meat in layers of salt would bring spoilage pretty much to a grinding halt. The salt dehydrates food by drawing water out. Plus, the salt itself inhibits bacterial decay. When the food was ready to be eaten, it was important to soak the food in water, often several times, not only to rehydrate it. But also to reduce the salt content. In fact, the historical value of salt, used in many societies as money, came from its value as a food preservative, not as a dinner table condiment that we use and abuse today. Another time-honored technique is smoking foods to preserve them, a process that not only extends the storage of foods but generally adds a distinctive flavor, like smoked turkey, hams, bacon, and salmon. The history of canned foods began in the early 1800s when the French government offered a prize of 1,200 francs, big bucks in those days, for the invention of a way to preserve foods for the French army. The prize was won in 1809 for a process using wide-mouthed glass bottles that were corked and heated in boiling water to preserve vegetables, meats, fruits, and milk. The next step came in 1819. With a patent for using steel cans instead of fragile glass bottles, in 1858, an American named John Mason invented the heavy glass jar that could withstand repeated high-temperature processing. It still bears his name in common usage as the Mason jar. Modern frozen foods started with Clarence Birdseye in 1912 when he began freezing fish to keep them fresh. Mr. Birdseye started selling a line of frozen foods in 1930, but he ran into a little problem at first. The problem was that grocers weren't willing to invest in freezers to keep his foods frozen. As a result, his market was pretty limited until the rationing of World War II put severe limitations on the metal used in canned goods. Since his frozen foods were packaged in cardboard and wax paper, not metal. A whole new market was opened up for frozen foods that continues today. The most modern experiment in food preservation is to irradiate food with high-energy radiation to kill bacteria and retard spoilage. This process has some technical appeal since it's relatively cheap, but the public's interest has been, at best, limited by the idea of eating food bombarded by radiation. More information. 
about food preservation is available from Back Home Magazine. Our phone number is 800-992-2546 or on the web at backhomemagazine.com. News from Back Home is produced in cooperation with WNCW, Spindale, North Carolina, with support from AirCheck Incorporated on the web at radon.com. Back Home Magazine is published bi-monthly in North Carolina, south of Hendersonville, on West Blue Ridge Road, just east of the old Flat Rock. For all the folks back home, I'm Ryan Doyle. Thanks for listening. Are you ready for the end of the world? (laughs) (laughs) This is Orda Energy Mon. This is Tree Song. And we are your community spirit. Are you ready for the end of the world? The cage match that will be the end (laughs) of Peak Oil. I just read this book. I probably should grab it here. It's a novel called um, Prelude, a novel about secrets, treachery, and the arrival of Peak Oil. Prelude is by Kurt Cobb. Hmm. So he didn't write a full novel, he just wrote the prelude. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's, it's basically what, how someone realizes. This mm-hmm. is uh, by an oil insider. So this is against, um, this summer of 2008, you remember when the oil was spiking up? Yeah. Well over $100 a gallon, a gallon, a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> it's not $100 a gallon yet. So um, this lady works for a DC energy consulting firm, and she, this is how she... This is her transformation from one of the firm's true believers into a worried skeptic. Hmm. So, so it's a very interesting and intriguing novel. Um, I actually got to meet um, Kurt Cobb, the author of this book. He was the keynote speaker at the Illinois Renewable Energy Fair. Um, I guess that was two weekends ago, maybe. Hmm. I don't know. My time has run together. <laughs> time flies when you're having fun. Weekend. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, this doesn't tell you how to survive peak oil, but it's an intriguing novel. And it's, it's pretty much almost, you know, besides the fictionalized part, it's all true. Mm-hmm. It's all information about what happened in 2008. Yeah. But in a novel form. So, it makes it a lot more um, interesting and easy read. <laughs> yeah. So, um, preludethenovel.com for more information. So Sounds exciting. Yeah. Aren't you writing a novel about climate change? I am writing a novel about climate change. My uh, characters, they actually started out in southern Illinois. Uh, They traveled to St. Louis. Now they're traveling to Chicago. But yours is what happens afterwards. Yeah. This is the prelude. (laughs) Yeah, well, mine and mine is very fictionalized. You know, it's it's got a lot of urban fantasy elements, magic, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, You you mean you don't know what's actually going to (laughs) happen when climate change comes? Uh, Not yet. I've got a few ideas, but... (laughs) Nobody's sure. That's that's part of the the scary part about climate change. You know, we're not entirely sure what's going to happen. Even science, what even do they science, call it? climatologists. Yeah, I mean, they can predict things if they have data, but unfortunately, there's not a lot of data about climate change. Yeah. So, um, they're doing what they can, though. <laughs> oh yeah, actually, I should mention. Uh, uh, I've got a screensaver that I've mentioned before that does uh, crunching climate data for uh, climate researchers. Really? Yeah, climateprediction.net. Have uh, you shifted 
What? What was the other one? Looking for aliens? Yeah, the other one was SETI. It was looking for aliens. I've paused that one for now. I want to catch up and do some climate data for a little while. <laughs> then go. I'll run them both at once. Wow. So it's... Can make use of your computer's downtime. Yeah. So put your money where your miles are. Did you know that the Netherlands plans to start taxing motorists for how much they drive? I mean, here in the U.S., our, we, we get taxed the road tax. I mean, that's basically what the... You know, your car is, the you know, the license plates. So that's for you being able to drive on the road. But they don't tax you for how many miles you actually drive. So in the Netherlands, they plan to actually tax people for, you know, actually how many miles they drive. Could this in a growing list of European innovations reduce auto traffic take root here? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think there'd be too much opposition. It would. It would be interesting, though. I would think it would be interesting attacks on the gas itself, because then if you have a more fuel efficient vehicle, you get less of the tax. Well, I mean, pretty much about half of the cost of gasoline is taxes. So, I mean, the oil companies point that out pretty frequently when huh. they say, "Oh, the price is you know how high the price is. It's not us." It's the, all the taxes they put on. <laughs> yeah, they blame it on the taxes, and then they don't mention the subsidies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. They get 50% of them, of their their actual cost is subsidized. Huh? Yeah, and a lot of externalities, too. So. <laughs> it's a nice little shell game they play. Okay, so let's see. Uh, we've got another bit of news here. Uh, the Obama administration is moving against Alaska oil drilling. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service moves to grant increased protection for an oil-rich Alaskan National Wildlife Refuge area. There you go. I mean, there's a lot of oil there, but it's extremely costly to drill for it because, well, it's in Alaska. And then it costs a lot to get it out of there, you know, pump it, well, miles and miles and miles to where someone can actually get the oil. So yeah. Do you have a personal green s- stimulus plan? <laughs> well, right now it's a recession. People say we're not in a recession, but there is a uh, job rate, um, well, unemployment rate of 10% or so. Mm-hmm. There is a non-employment rate of untold because they don't keep track of someone who, once they go off of unemployment... Yeah, they don't keep track of it. They don't keep track of people. Um, unless they go on to... Um, what is it like Medicaid and Medicare or um, yeah you know so there's there's this group of people in between that they're still too proud to get um, help from the government but um, don't have jobs so they're yeah. you know, living off of their so anyway here a personal green stimulus plan there's no doubt about it for most people recessions suck that's right Unemployment, job instability, poor return on investments. These are very real stresses. But what about a recession means for the environment is a lot less clear. So some of the stuff is very positive. You know, excess consumption, using less oil, all that is very good for the environment. Recessions have a deeply negative impact on the green economy, too, by squeezing research and development um, budgets and encouraging consumption of cheaper, less sustainably produced goods. Now, some of the stuff we can do to make it so that we stimulate ourselves and that didn't sound right. Stimulate ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> C- 
creating a green personal plan makes it so that we will have more money in our pocket. So here are some things we can do. Focus frugality on environmental don'ts. From the true cost of gasoline through meat's carbon footprint to the impact of aviation, many of the largest polluters also happen to be some of the biggest drains on a financial budget. Very simply, consider driving and flying less, eating less meat, and generally cutting back on those things that both harm the environment and your wallet first. Yeah. Another one is uh, put your money where your mouth is. Um, don't be so hungry you eat. <laughs> yeah, actually eating the money is not very nutritious, uh, not very sanitary either. <laughs> but if you avoid cutting back, you can avoid cutting back on areas of your budget that you feel strongest about. This includes uh, keeping shopping at farmer's markets, supporting local bike shops, uh, keep saving for those energy efficiency improvements, and uh, allowing yourself uh, fair trade organic coffee that you love so much. I'm actually not a coffee person, but I like fair trade chocolate. There you go. <laughs> uh, good news is that some of these so-called indulgences may cost less than conventional products anyway, and even if they don't, you get the added benefit of knowing your money is contributing to keeping the businesses you cherish viable. Yep. Uh, you can even consider setting a personal goal of spending X percentage of your uh, budget locally or transferring some of the gas money you've been saving into a fund for green home improvements. Now, that's a good idea. Because, like, with some of the improvements for energy efficiency and uh, gas mileage and all that, you know, if you save $50 on that, you can have 25 of that go to just having a leaner budget and 25 go to, uh, you know, green endeavors. Have you ever seen that email that was going around, we didn't have the green thing? Hmm. No, was, I don't think it so. Was, it was about a, an older lady going through the aisle at the grocery store, and someone asked her, do you want pla- paper or plastic? And she was just like, I don't know. She's like, well, the cashier was just like, be green, be green, you know, pick uh, Yeah. And she said, well, when I grew up, we always brought, you know, cloth bags to the store, but we didn't have that green thing. Uh, we yeah. always canned things, but we didn't have that green thing. <laughs> we always didn't throw things away. You know, we reused it one, two or three times, but we didn't have that green thing. Uh-huh. You know, and it's just this whole list of things that, you know, people growing up did, yeah, but they didn't have the green thing. You know, they just so. did it without calling it anything. Right. So, all right. Find or create a green job. You may have heard, but unemployment is high right now. There are, however, some bright spots, and green jobs is one of them. If you're currently looking for work, know someone who is or are thinking of a career move, consider moving into the green job sector. And there's a budding green entrepreneur inside of you. Maybe it's time to take advantage of low interest rates and go into business for yourself. So. <laughs> yeah, a lot of job retraining go- going back to the green thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Another thing is remembering that money is a social construct. Uh, so far, these suggestions have been focused on traditional ideas of economic stimulus. It's worth remembering that money is just a social construct, a tool for s- facilitating exchange. Uh, focusing on relentless economic growth uh, is the root cause of this malaise anyway. And we should take seriously the concept of no growth economics. I uh, know that that's crazy, like the idea that we shouldn't just grow, grow, grow. It's kind of kind of crazy, but <laughs> uh, whether or not that uh, that's a realistic prospect right now, there are plenty of non-monetary ways that you can be sure to up your own well-being and help create a resilient community around you. There are things like tool libraries, uh, uh, sharing gardens, crop mobs, 
Have you heard of a tool library? I, I yeah. think I have. It's basically, you know, you can sort of deduce what it is from the yeah, name. Instead you, of everybody having their own lawnmower or hoe or, you know, tool, people share them. Yeah. And same with the crop mob. That's people sharing a garden. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting concepts. Um, Cooperation. Back in the day, we didn't have the green thing. This uh-huh. was, everybody did this, so... Recessions hurt, but they hurt everyone. I've heard many people worry that the current economic crunch may stifle the emerging green economy and lead us back into the status quo. It's true that as soon as the economy started recovering, oil consumption leaped to a record high. But with almost every business suffering under reduced spending, we see it as a further opportunity to further accentuate a shift from extractive, harmful economy something better so we really can't wait to the government to do it or leave it to you know different businesses to do this most of the money we spend somewhere let's look for ways to shape our recovery in a direction that makes sense so i would like people to share their thoughts on how we can make a green economy right here in southern illinois i'd say probably a good place to go to is these friday night fairs yeah. Those are exciting. I mean, a lot of small on, businesses yeah. set up. and They're definitely working on a local economy, yeah, and they've got so. some green stuff there. And uh, all this talk about the economic crunch makes me want to create a new cereal called Economic Crunch. <laughs> Tree song. Little dollar sign cereal. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, mate. Shaped like dollar signs? Yeah. It's <laughs> like, huh. I wonder if that's possible. Well, I'm sure anything's possible. <laughs> and it's sponsored by... Tree song. Yeah, you heard it here first. Uh, trademark, copyright, <laughs> 2011. <laughs> All right. Um, some people are getting along, but some people are not. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've heard there's a fight brewing in the GOP over extreme climate change denial. Extreme? Uh, I guess they're, they're fighting over how much to deny climate change. <laughs> uh, Rick Perry has kept himself busy since announcing his intention to run for president. After calling for a moratorium on all new regulations and referring to Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke as treasonous, he's also publicly derided climate change as a hoax perpetrated by scheming, data-manipulating scientists. Uh, that's not your standard issue climate change skepticism. That's pretty extreme. Uh, perhaps sensing an opening to grab some headlines and appeal to more moderate voters, less visible candidate John Huntsman fired back at Perry, telling the Washington Post that, quote, we're not going to win a national election if we become the anti-science party. <laughs> well, that's pretty impressive, people deciding not to become the anti-science party. <laughs> I thought that was the unspoken rule there. And they're, they're calling for extreme rollbacks of environmental protection and, you know, defunding the EPA. Yeah. It's important to note what's happening here. These candidates' views are popular right now. But a solid majority of Americans think that climate change is a problem and the EPA is a necessary for tool for keeping our air and water clean. So it's one thing to waffle on climate change or question the EPA's reach, but to lead full-bore assaults on both will make a lot of voters uncomfortable. So Yeah. And it's interesting to see that dialogue going on, you know, that there is... Dialogue? Well, dialogue, I guess, is maybe a strong word, fighting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't see any dialogue happening with politicians. Yeah, they just yell at each other. I mean, they have 
seriously very little connection to the real world, as we might say it. Yeah, especially the higher up you go on the food chain. It's, it becomes less about uh, articulating views for a particular cause and more about trying to knock down the other guy and get in there and win. <laughs> they, they don't have their own platforms. Their platform is the other guy should lose it's or a, the other woman. Which means everybody loses, yeah. <laughs> so here's something that we've won. Google begins mapping for street view in the Amazon. Wait a second. <laughs> the Amazon doesn't really have any streets. <laughs> What they're doing is they're actually having people on bicycles ride around with one of the little cameras on there. <laughs> so um, tri- uh, Google's camera-equipped tricycle throughout their communities, and therefore we get to have a glimpse of the everyday life of people in the Amazon. And then once all those images are uploaded to the Internet, we can share the cultural uh, ident- the local culture and beauty of the Amazon with for everyone. And... It's it's not the first time that Street View has gone into hard-to-reach places to raise awareness of the planet's most important ecosystem. Just last year, uh, Google unveiled a unique interactive tour of Antarctica and hundreds of its tuxedoed locals. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's going to make it so that soon people will actually just wander through places like the desert and stuff and think they will be okay because they've got it on their google map (laughs) yeah it's like well somebody's got it here on google street view so i must be able to go there well they actually had a bunch of people die um not recently but in the last few years um following the you know um online maps to drive through the death valley (laughs) that was the shortest distance but most of them weren't prepared for yeah. the long stretch of no gas and no water and yeah you know and some you know some of the maps were wrong so <laughs> it's like death by google death by google <laughs> i wonder if you could actually sue them for having the wrong map uh probably not they've died. got their little disclaimer saying you know that there's a disclaimer on there somewhere saying we may not have actually have i think map. they still have on right on the top of most of them saying beta Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they're still in bed. I mean, they'll probably be in beta forever. Yeah, you know? probably. Because <laughs> you can never get the maps 100% accurate. Yeah. So I, I, I remember reading the article where people would go and they would turn because it said, you know, turn left here. And the locals actually put up a huge sign that says, don't turn here. <laughs> and because pe- people were turning and driving right into the lake. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So. Going for a little swim. All right. In other good news. Yeah. Uh, I'll mention this one quick because we got to get to some happenings. Oh, yeah. But electric car goes a thousand miles on a single charge, breaking a world record. Uh, now that's pretty exciting. Uh, I was actually just writing in my novel about uh, I was trying to exaggerate the range of an electric car, and I'm going to have to change my figures if if they're getting a car to go a thousand miles on a single charge. And most people are going to be like, Psh, "Well, what what are the limitations?" Well, the limitations are they didn't t- go over 28 miles an hour, but otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> It it was a thirty six hour and twelve minute drive. Yeah. So, um, so it is possible, and it's definitely going to shape future cars. If that one can go a thousand miles, you know your consumer end car is going to go two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred. All right. Um, holidays. Holidays. Let, let me let me emphasize a couple of them, but we really need to get into the happenings. 
Today happens to be National Men's Grooming Day and the UN World Humanitarian Day. Mm-hmm. So um, all of us guys need to groom ourselves so that the world can be <laughs> feel more human, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, let's see. Saturday is International Homeless Animals Day and Candlelit Vigils Day. Yes. So. so a good day to adopt a homeless animal. And it's also a, a Mayan holiday of Belejeb Bats, a uh, day to honor women. So we should honor women every day, but uh, especially coming up on Saturday. Sunday is Poets Day, and Monday is Be an Angel Day, <laughs> and Southern Hemisphere Hoodie Who Day. Yeah. I have no idea. I'm going to have to look that one up, huh? <laughs> And Tuesday is the UN International Day for the Remembrance of the Slave Trade and its Abolition. And there is still uh, slave trade going on, but uh, luckily a bunch of major nations in the world have renounced it. So the the struggle against it continues, especially on Tuesday. Yep. Tuesday is also the anniversary of the first man-powered flight, and Virgo begins on Tuesday, and... Wednesday, let's see, Independence Day for Ukraine, and Thursday is Independence Day for Uruguay. Congratulations. Yes. (laughs) All right, let's get to some happenings. We only have a few minutes. Anything happening in this town? (laughs) Yeah, let's see. Uh, Oh, this is exciting. The Carbondale Chamber of Commerce is holding a ribbon-cutting ceremony at the Day Shift Boutique uh, today at 4 p.m. You can check out this new Carbondale gem. Uh, let's see. Uh, it's a consignment store featuring art and unique gifts. That's uh, made by over 50 Southern Illinois artisans. There you go. Exciting times. And we're starting this official theme schedule next week for uh, Rice and Spice International Slow Food Dinner with the Iftar Dinner. But today, this week, Gavin helps us celebrate his return to the U.S. in the beginning of a new semester. Come early to help get the cooking done in time. That's every Friday from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Guy House Interface Center. You know what fast food is, right? Well, at a slow food dinner, people meet and cook together. (laughs) Exciting times. That's over at 913 South Illinois here in Carbondale. Also, the Carbondale Community Fair. Uh, They've got Friday night fairs at the Carbondale Town Square Pavilion on the corner of uh, Illinois and Maine. Uh, this week's entertainment is uh, provided by Marty's Band. Uh, Whose band? Uh, Marty's Band. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's ex- it's exciting event. They've got all sorts of community tables out there. Like uh, It's got live music, free live music, the three magic words here in Southern Illinois. And guess what? Today it'll be solar-powered. Oh, wow. That's exciting. So- some, somebody's going to show up with some solar power. So the five exciting magic words of Southern Illinois, free live solar-powered music. <laughs> pretty good <laughs> um, there's there's always a farmer's market live music a food court and activities for children and there's always a lot of people yes so, um, the mission yard sale Carbondale First Christian Church today from 8 until 5 and tomorrow from 8 until 1 sales items include clothing, books, household items toys and more Homemade baked goods will also be available. All f- proceeds from this event go towards the support of Mission Project, including many local agencies. So, Yes, and some of our regular happenings that happen on uh, most, if not all, Saturdays, the Farmer's Market 
happens whenever it's in season, and it's definitely the season. Coming up on Saturday, that's tomorrow, from 8 a.m. to noon, the West Town Mall parking lots on the west side of town in Carbondale, just east of the Murdale Shop, or just west of the Murdale Shopping Center, excuse me. You were so close to being an ad, but then you messed up. I did. <laughs> just east of the... Well, my, I think my mind was going east because of, of the next happening, which is the Vigil for Peace. That's on Saturdays from noon to 1 p.m., the corner of Maine and Illinois at the Town Square Pavilion. They are uh, bearing uh, witness to the cost of war and holding out hope for the promise of peace. All right. Yeah, I want to mention, too, uh, Transportic Playground, a uh, semi-regular, it's about every two weeks, uh, poetry nights, coming up on Monday at 9 p.m. at the Global Gourmet in Carbondale. It's an exciting time, open mic nights. People get to share their poetry and spoken word. Uh, I know I'm going to be there. It's always a good time. If you did not have a chance to hear the whole radio show, and we actually didn't do the whole radio show because we always leave some stuff out because we just do a synopsis of some of the news articles, if you would like to get the detailed news article, you probably should get on our mailing list. Hmm. Our mailing list is info at yourcommunityspirit.org. If you would like something to happen in this town, you must email it to us, the Happening Guys, so we can announce it on this happening radio station. Mm-hmm. And I want to see how many times I can say happening, happening, happening. in this <laughs> happening time. What's happening now? <laughs> <laughs> um, enjoy the weekend. It will be a wondrous weekend. And we'll see you again on the radio next week. Yes, next week on the radio. (laughs) All right. (laughs)